What does it mean, Messiah Matters? It means apart from him, we can do nothing. It means he is the way, the truth, and the life. Yeshua is the only way of salvation. He is everything. We have to have the Tanakh to know the Messiah. But we have to have the Messiah to know the Tanakh. Without Messiah, we have nothing. Basically, it's all about the Messiah. Wednesday, February 14th, 2018. This is Messiah Matters number 206, coming to you from one of the largest personal theological libraries on the West Coast. My name is Caleb Hegg, and with me from the city where Father's Day was created, Rob Van Hoff. What up, Rob? How's it going? I forgot about that. We got uh, like four or five inches of snow last night, so I was doing some shoveling this morning. I have a feeling I'm super loud right now. Maybe I'm not. How does it feel? Do you feel? What does it mean to feel loud? I really feel loud. Hang on. I am hot. Okay. I'm turning it down. Test, 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 test. Okay. Maybe better. We'll we'll just have to see. Uh, Yeah. The uh, a little hot on the mic, Caleb. Yeah. Caleb's mic is hot. Okay. So tell me. Better. Is it better? Better now? Anyway. Okay. Hey, welcome to Messiah Matters, everyone. We are so happy to be here with you. Uh, very happy that uh, everyone's out there in Radio Land with us, and of course, also on the tube, the YouTube. And uh, yeah, so you got snow. How much snow did you get? Well, it's like four or five inches, and then they're expecting more. I love uh, snow so much, and I wish that it snowed today. here more, but it doesn't. I'm surprised you don't have a blanket on. Normally, when it snows, you got a blanket on. Yeah, you know, I'm trying to look all professional. <laughs> That's right. Oh, man. Well, we have had quite a week, haven't we? Uh, it's been a good time. We got some new things brewing here at the uh, Messiah Matters factory. And uh, yeah, some good things. Okay, let's get this out of the way. Messiah Matters is brought to you by TorahResource.com. Torah Resource is a wonderful source of, uh, well, all sorts of stuff. Video, audio, um, and uh, PDFs, and a lot of it is free. Now, I don't know if people realize this or not, but uh, Torah Resource does have a a Bible study every week. That Bible study is uh, right now in 3 John. And live. Live. But if you can't make it live, guess what? You can go to the 3 John page, and you can download the audio. And I think there's notes to it, too. You can download the notes and everything. Um, totally free. So just go to torresource.com, hover over Institute, go down to Third John Study, and there it all is. Totally free. Uh, and do it now, by the way, because once Third John is done, we will package First, Second, and Third John all into one, and then we'll sell it in our store. And a lot of people have asked us before, well, are you, you know, why do you sell your stuff? Why don't you give it away? Well, we give everything away at some point for free. And so the first, second, and third John study is totally free right now. You can download the whole thing if you want to. Totally free. Um, do it now while you can. Uh, and then, of course, Messiah Matters is also brought to you by the generous donations of our supporters and our listeners. And, and it's you, free, too. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It's free, too. You can you can tune in and listen live. Totally free. But if you <laughs> on YouTube later. That's right. But if you'd like to uh, help this show continue on, then you can do so by going to toresource.com and click the donate button. Um, yeah, and don't forget to get our show notes, another uh, wonderful free resource that we offer people. You can do you that. You used the word wonderful a few times. I'm sorry, I'll stop now. Uh, it's a great resource. Go to <laughs> go to Tor Resource, hover over radio, We're and go down to GoFund Caleb. Uh, Actually, do thesaurus. you want Sort of kidding. Yes, exactly. So there, we have something that we're that we're working on right now, um, and it's really an experiment that we're that we're thinking about. 
what we're going to do is we're going to off, offer people uh, for a donation of a specific amount, which will be, which is yet to be announced. Um, people will be able to pr be producers and executive producers on the show. Now that doesn't mean that you have any say in what, <laughs> what, what gets talked about or anything, but what it means is that uh, if you produce the show or if you're an executive producer, you will produce a specific show and we will put your name on that show uh, that you are a producer and that the show is brought to you by that person. Uh, there will be specific uh, merchandise that only producers and executive producers get, uh, which will be very fun. And uh, then you can also, uh, if you produce a sh show or if you are an executive producer, you can send us a note, which we will, uh, with a short note, mind you, which we will be able to uh, read on air. And you'll be able to request up to three sound bites. And I have really beefed up the sound bite. Well, uh, one of three, right? You can't request well, th all three. three. Three in a row. So oh. you say, well, let's give somebody, let's give a little. Uh, oh, I see what you mean. Let's I give see. a let's give a little example of what I mean. Like, let's say that somebody re requests, uh, I don't know, something like here. Let's see here. <laughs> let's, oh, I'm I'm trying to get a, a a good one here. Here you go. You ready? Do you understand the words that are coming out of my mouth? Bow your sense. How rude! Okay, so that would well, be. Isn't that four? No, that'd be three because one's a song and then there's two sound clips. Anyway, it doesn't oh, really, I, the, okay, gotcha. I mean, if you're becoming a producer, then, you know, anyway, you can produce one show. Uh, and you could, you can actually contribute a soundbite to. Yes. And you can send in a soundbite as well. Anyway, we're working on that and we're working on how that's all going to work. All right. We're, we're working on that 24 <laughs> seven. No, I like, that's a great idea. I, I like the personal touch that you're, uh. What will, what will be interesting is to see how many people become producers or executive pr producers just to try to collect all of the merchandise. Because there will be a new piece of merchandise each quarter. So every quarter you could be a producer and get a new piece of merchandise. It's very exciting. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe not. Okay. Anyway, let's let's move on. Let's Let's get to it. Um, let's see here. Okay. So we had, I made a clip, uh, from last week's show. Last week was two Oh five show two Oh five. Now I made a passing comment towards the end. We were talking about misinterpretation of, of different things. And one of the things that I said was that, uh, communion communion was a misinterpretation, right? And where does this come from? This come from, well, two passages. It comes from uh, Romans, uh, I'm sorry, Romans, 1 Corinthians, rather, 11, and also Luke 22, right? Yeshua says, um, uh, do this in remembrance of me. The church then took that, and uh, I made the comment that they, that they made something that was not prescribed in the Bible, which is uh, communion, the celebration of communion, and that uh, this was just a misinterpretation. And so... Um, we had some people say, what are you talking about? Another person accused me of being anti-church. Um, and so, well, Brian and Jamie, that's the name of the YouTube channel that, uh, that commented on our YouTube page. They said, not disagreeing, but how about some support for this claim? And that's in regards to the communion, not being in the Bible. Okay, well, um, actually, I think it actually has to go the other way. So in other words... I obviously have been studying the, the Eucharist and communion quite a bit. And I, I understand that, that some people would say, so for, for instance, Joachim Jeremias, is that how you say his name? Joachim Jeremias? Anyway, um, he wrote a, a standard book. Uh, I think he's Jer it's probably Silent J, but that's all right. Well, Petrie says Joachim. Yeah, that's right. Here's the book. It's called uh, The Eucharistic Words of of Jesus. It is by far a standard within Eucharistic studies. Anyway, he says that as soon as the, uh, as soon as the, the Ascension happens, they go back in Acts, right? And they're breaking bread. And he says that the breaking of bread is the, is, you know, they're carrying on the communion now. Um, this has been strongly opposed and for good reason. Um, and I, yeah, I, I think that this is basically nonsense. Um, no offense to uh, Jeremiah and, and his scholarship, 
but basically it's talking about eating a, a meal together. Now there's been good scholarship since then that has greatly opposed this and shown that, that, uh, if there was a Eucharist or a communion in the early church, uh, it was in a meal form. It wasn't a communion or anything like that uh, up until much later. And um, maybe even the third century is when it starts to move to more of a communion type thing. And so uh, really, then you have the... Did we know, I, we, we, Caleb, if I may, if no, I may just no. say something. We know... That, that if you even come, you know, come from a, let's say a Protestant tradition, right. you look at the, what the Catholic mass is and you go, okay, that's not what's in the Bible. Right. I mean, the, the, the Protestants will say that's not what's in the Bible, but the degree of, of alteration of what the Catholic, uh, mass is, is depending on how, right. There's a matter of degree. Some look kind of like it, but they reword it and then some get further and further away from it until you have, you know, everybody has a little cup of juice and a, and a little teeny cracker, you know, kind right. of thing. Well, so, um, well even so, more... but the idea is, so there's, I, I don't think anyone's going to argue that what this Lord's supper looks like or whatever you want to call it. First Corinthians 11 is that it throughout the history of, of the church, it's, meant different things to different groups. I don't think anybody's going to dispute that. Do, do you think anybody out there is saying, no, it's clear church history has a strong history. Yes. We know what it is. I think that, that people say, well, there was someone who specifically said, you're going against 2000 years of church history, but this is, this is not a very strong argument for multiple reasons. Of what church? Like which? Not only what uh, church, but, but okay. The Didache people will argue that, the Didache has the fir- has the beginnings of the communion because the word Eucharistos is is used uh, in chapter ten. Uh, this can strongly be debated and, and opposed, and it is by good Didache scholars. We don't really start to see any form of or even mention of a Eucharist. We'll talk about First Corinthians in just a second um, until about one fifty. 150 to 200 is when we really start to see the idea of a Eucharist and and this ceremony that starts to be implemented. So basically what people are saying is that Jesus, Yeshua, in Luke 22 and in 1 Corinthians 11, when he says, do this in remembrance of me, he's talking about something that the disciples didn't celebrate and wasn't celebrated until almost 100 year, over 100 years, 120 years after Yeshua died and ascended. So that's number one. Number two, in the context of when Yeshua is speaking, it is a Passover meal. And I like to give this analogy. If, if grandpa is, is dying and uh, the modern Christian church, uh, you know, obviously the, the family's uh, sitting around the Christmas tree on Christmas morning and uh, they're sipping eggnog as they have every Christmas morning for, you know, years past. And they, they open presents and grandpa gets his, you know, his sweater or whatever and he leans back knowing this is going to be his last Christmas with the family. And he says, I hope you guys do this in remembrance of me. Is he talking about creating a completely new celebration? No, of course not. He's talking about the celebration that's going on right there and then. And the same thing happens in the Last Supper. Yeshua is eating the Passover. He's, he's having the Passover with his disciples. He, he says, do this in remembrance of me. And we're supposed to assume that 120 years later, a, uh, a, a celebration that is uh, then instated by the church is more weighty than what is going on in the Gospels. I don't buy it. Beyond that, I don't think that the church has the ability to overrule the apostles and uh, and Yeshua himself. And so this idea of church history, oh, well, you know, 2,000 years of church history. Well, transubstantiation came into the communion service very early, Right. And uh, the idea of communion changed quite a bit. You know, transubstantiation was held all the way up until the Reformation. Now, the other, th- the other problem with saying, oh, well, 2,000 years of church history, what church history? If people would have said that to Luther or to Calvin, oh, well, you can't go against the church, then we wouldn't have the Reformation. The idea that Protestants say, oh, you, you know, 2,000 years of church history is ridiculous. Because you're basically fighting against your own reformation. 
what what has happened with the Reformation is people have said, no, the church doesn't have the power to overrule what the Scripture says. So really, the right. the the uh, proof is not for me to produce. The proof is for others to prove that the text in which Yeshua is speaking, he's instituting something new, which I think is impossible from the text. The text that people will go to is 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians is, you're going to have troubles in 1 Corinthians, though. And the reason why is because Paul continues to talk about Passover throughout the letter, right? In, in 5, 6 through 8, he says, your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough? Clean out the old leaven so that you may be a new lump, just as you are, in fact, unleavened. For Messiah, our Passover also has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us celebrate the feast, not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. So he's talking about Passover. He says celebrate the festival. Are we to assume that he's talking about a new celebration? And then, of course, in 1123 through 29 is when people really, this is, this is where they say the communion was instituted. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Yeshua in the night which he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, The cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you uh, drink it or as you do it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever, yada, yada, yada. So this is, this is, uh, this is where they say that the communion it comes from. Once again, I believe that he's talking about Passover. And I think that uh, I think that there's good evidence towards that as well. Sure. Well, here's here's another angle on this, Caleb. If you look in the book of Acts and you look at the breaking of bread in the book of Acts. Are you going to suggest that uh, like I just, you know, pulled about here you go. Um, they continue Acts 242 and 246. It says they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Right. 46, day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple, breaking bread from house to house, took their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart. Now, are, these, are they having, is this a uh, Lord's Supper every time? Um, Paul, remember on the first day of the week, they gathered together to break bread. Right. So this is just an idiom. But here's the one that is uh, is is good, is that when Paul is on the boat in the Mediterranean, he's on a ship. And there's a storm, remember, and there's, you know, some of the sailors want to jump out of the boat. Paul encourages them to stay. He says, not a hair of, uh, of your head will will any of you will perish. Um. And then it says, and so this is Acts, what chapter is this? This is 2735. Having said this, Paul, that is, took bread, and it's used Eucharisto. He gave thanks to God in the presence of all, and he broke it and began to eat. And all of them were encouraged, and they themselves also took took food. And, and all of us in the ship were 276 persons. Now, is this is one of those where it's all of us in the ship. This is Luke on the ship. We don't know. It seems like Luke is including himself in the story now. Obviously, Acts doesn't start out with Luke being in the one of the group um, because they, had, they hadn't eaten. So here you have, are, are all the people partaking in the Lord's Supper here because he's breaking bread and get, giving thanks? No. This is not a, this is not a, a, a mass. And so the book of Acts is full of the times where the people are together, they're breaking bread, right. they're giving thanks, and it's not a, it's not a quote, communion. It's a, the, uh, the only reason I bring this up is just to show that, you know, the, the 1 Corinthians 11 is, it, it, just like you make the point, it, it's natural interpretation, in my view, and Caleb and in yours, follows what Paul has already set up in the letter. Chapter 5, he talks about Messiah as the Passover, keep the feast. He talks about the unleavened bread. He's teaching about what the 
leaven is and why we don't want it. And it's associated with a, something you actually do and eat. And you're having the lesson while you're, um, you know, the spiritual lesson with the physical activity are going together. And then is it in chapter 10, he's talking about the redemption from Egypt, right? right. And the sea and being the, uh, the deliverance um, from Egypt. Well, more uh, than that, even, even more than that, according to Eusebius, Polycarp had celebrated Passover with John. This would have been late, like 90s, 100s, somewhere in there. So you're telling me that Paul does away with uh, the Passover and that he institutes the communion, but John doesn't get the memo. And then Polycarp doesn't get the memo. And Polycarp doesn't get the memo. Doesn't it? it he doesn't have access to Paul's letters. Maybe that's the. Idea. Nor nor do the churches in Jerusalem, right? Because in Eusebius, that they write the, the Church of Rome, the Church, the Ecclesia of Rome, writes a letter to Jerusalem saying, "Stop celebrating these these Jewish festivals. We'll send you something instead." Anyway, the point is, is that it's. The, I know that this is standard. Christian doctrine. I'm not against the Christian church. Like I said last week, I've had communion recently with brothers and sisters in the Lord. I understand that this is not a, a you know, somebody else said, well, you're taking the same teaching as Monte Judah. Well, you know, a broken clock is, is right twice a day as well. Just because Monte Judah says something doesn't mean it's wrong. He also says the Messiah is, is, is Yeshua. That's not wrong. That's right. Right. So, I mean, not everything Monty Judah says is wrong, even though I disagree with him on a lot of things. <clears throat> the point is, is that, um, you know. Actually, personally, I have no idea what he teaches about. Uh, so. Anyway, the, po the, the whole, po nothing the whole point is, is that that's not a good argument. An argument against what, we're, what I'm saying, is, a good argument against what I'm saying was to, would be to show how Yeshua clearly is teaching that we institute something completely different than the Passover, even though he's have he's engaged in the Passover meal when he's eating it, or when he when he supposedly institutes this, when he gives the words of institution as they're commonly called. That is how you would have to debate against this, and you can't say, "Well, two thousand years of church history." That is a, not a valid argument, um, because guess what? The Reformation came out of pushing against, you know. 1300 years of church history. Right, exactly. Otherwise, the reformers, if they, if you would use that argument, and, and you'd never have the reformation if they bought that argument as acceptable. Right. Um, okay. Well, um, I hope that answers the question. So basically, that's my answer is that I think that the, uh, I think that the history alone shows that what I'm saying uh, has at least some credibility. And I would be happy to, d to discuss with anyone who wants to try to say that the text says otherwise. Um, because I mean, it's not just me. There's plenty of, uh, scholars who are talking about how the Eucharist formed, right? Different denominations want it to be earlier and, and some don't really care that <laughs> they're just looking at the evidence. Okay. So we have another, uh, another comment. This is from PJ and actually maybe, and who's in the chat room right now, by the way, maybe we should have, uh, Rob's book re recommendation. Tis your turn, right? Last week we yeah. started... We started talking about uh, books that we would uh, recommend be a part of your uh, your library. And what, what did we say? Buy it, borrow it, or bag it, right? Yeah, buy, borrow, or bag. That's, uh, you know, it's not the greatest uh, thing, but it's good for now. Okay, so this book was one that I uh, didn't even know existed until SBL, and it was, you know, InterVarsity Press, IVP usually has a nice big, um, huge corner, uh, corner booth or not corner, but end, end of the, what do they call it? End cap kind yep. of booth. And, uh, it's called theology grams, theology grams. Oh yeah. 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 This is beautiful. It's by rich wild W Y L D 2017 IVP. Now the first <laughs> it's theology grams, theology explained in diagrams. I think I got a, I think it was like five bucks on sale at the conference. So you could probably get one for almost nothing. It's really fun. I'll, I'll give you a couple pointers about it, but I, I think it's a buy. I think this is a buy. This is not a borrow or a, uh, uh, a bag, a, a bag. 
notice just the cover. Okay, there's three three circles. It's like a little Venn diagram. Well, right. the, I don't know if the lighting's good enough, but the blue on top is theology. The red on the lower left is uh, diagrams, and the, then the lower right circle is humor. And then the white in the middle is this book. So in <laughs> other words, th- this reminds me of the Robin Caleb show humor right here. You've got, the, the except instead of diagrams, theology and humor, it's talk radio, it's it's internet radio, uh, uh, theology and humor, and that that little bit in the middle. So and, uh, hey, uh, just just so you know, uh, uh, Gary in the chat room for those who are in the chat room right now, he just posted a link uh, to this book. Go ahead. Yeah, this is great. I think Gary and I both were laughing at this. Here, I'll give you a couple exa- of the ones that I like. One is. Uh, the chart, this is the, the diagram of the structure of the prehistory up to Abraham. And I, I'm not going to, uh, I'll just show you. So you see all these lines, right? And then it's yeah. got a key. Well, w- what's funny here. So the timeline is along the bottom. Quantity is the arrow up and the blue line is related songs for children. So, so <laughs> there's a lot of songs. There's a lot of songs about God creating the world. Right. But then when it gets to like uh, what's in the middle there, like Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel, like the <laughs> children's songs, quantity goes way down. But then as you get to Noah, it starts goes back up. But there's no songs about, you know, animals dying in the flood or anything. So there's a rapid drop in children's songs um, anyway. So th- at the flood. So that's really, really clever. Here's another one I like. This is a how to decide where Mark's gospel ends chart. <laughs> Yes. And there's a whole thing. And then it has one that's the, the Shawshank Redemption ending where they all go to Mexico and retire. And that's like <laughs> not not on there. So so there's humor mixed in. Now, just so you know, he, he does have a chart of trying to understand the Lord's Supper, you know, or the, uh, the last Passover. And he leans on the idea of the Passover hypothesis or whatever that that John rewrote the narrative for a theological, spiritual reading and right. put Yeshua uh, uh, dying on a but, different but, day. So but, obviously he's coming. So just be ready for things like that. But here's one, one last thing. And I'll just, I got to find where he calls it. Well, he's got several, I don't see him in here now, several that it's, if Jesus taught with diagrams instead of parables. So there's a, several diagrams that have, if Jesus would have just had a, a, a diagram, like what nice. it might've looked like instead nice. of the parable. So it's theology grams, theology explained diagrams by Rich Wild. 2017 IVP. This is a buy. Got it. Kids awesome. will like it. Okay. So last week when I recommended a book, um, I, I said the, the main thing was not to be lazy, right? Not to be lazy in our study. Um, that, you know, you can go to the library every once in a while. You can get books. You can um, borrow books. You can, you know, all sorts of stuff. Well, PJ wrote, and this is a great comment. He says, for those who don't do religion for a living, many are over rot in their job supplying all the new tech and are very distracted. So many more are today reliant on their teachers for doctrinal synthesis, Christian living, and halakha. Um, I agree with that, and that is just a fact of what happens, but that is also, I think, a little bit of a lazy view. I'll give you a couple examples. Okay. Um, my, well, wait my, a minute. It's not as an lazy as an excuse for not doing it. I don't. I didn't hear that. It's not like he's saying it's an. No, excuse. I don't think that. But but what I what I hear is okay. We're you know we lean on our teachers so we don't you know we take what our t- basically and well maybe this is this isn't what PJ was saying. I don't think. But what but what I think this becomes is an excuse for I don't have to study at all. I'm really busy. I go to church on Sunday. I got a pastor I really like or a leader that I really like, and he knows the Bible really well, and, and he preaches really well, and so I go, I listen, he says it, I you know, and that's where I get my spiritual teaching, and I'm good. That in and of itself is laziness when it comes to, to the Bible. My son, and, uh, my son is 100% thoroughly enwrapped in Minecraft right now. Okay, he loves Minecraft. He's five years old. Which he loves video game, which right? is a video game. He loves it. He you know, it. he's always showing me the new things that he's building in this video game. And we were walking to the library the other day because he wanted. To, we only let him uh, play a, a little bit each day, right? So when he's not playing, he wants to be reading books and looking at books about Minecraft and how to build in Minecraft. So we're going to the library 
and he and he's telling me how much he loves Minecraft and and uh, you know how it's such a wonderful thing. And he's and he stops talking for a few seconds. And he goes, "Dad, Minecraft isn't the most important thing. The most important thing is serving God." I said, "Yeah, that's right." Wow. So so the point is is that we lose sight as adults. I think we lose sight of your job is not the most important thing. Your relationships are important. And they are tied in with God. But the most important thing in life is serving and glorifying God. And if we have lost sight of that, if we've become lazy to that, to that goal, to that end goal, then we're not living life correctly. The correct way to live life is to put God first. And that means being in our in the word and trying to expand our knowledge of the word so that we can serve God better. When my wife and I were in the hospital, uh, we had a nurse that was taking care of, you know, uh, the, the baby ward and, uh, she was, you know, she was 24 on and I think 24 off. Wow. So she's working 24 hours straight and, uh, wonderful lady goes to church. We talked about, you know, faith and on all sorts of stuff with her. And at one point I walked out of the room to go get some water or something. And she was at her nurse's station and she was eating because it was, you know, she's trying to grab a bite to eat. And she was leaned over eating, reading her Bible. This lady's working 24 hours on trying to take care of who knows how many rooms, but she's sitting there reading her Bible. I think it is laziness to say that we're too busy in the day to sit down and, and read five minutes of our Bible, 10 minutes of our Bible. You know, if you have a half an hour break at work, Use 10 minutes to read the Bible, use 10 minutes to read a different book, and use 10 minutes to do whatever you want. By the time you get through, you know, three months, you're going to be done with a book. The The idea that we don't have time or what, or that we just lean on our teacher's knowledge, okay, granted, I lean, I lean on my teacher's knowledge a lot, right? I lean on Rob's knowledge. I That's why we buy books too, and we go to SPL because right. we're absolutely leaning on. It's no man is an island, right? That's um, that's for sure. We're it's a multi-membered body. And uh, Gary makes a great point. Also, another one of my teachers, <clears throat> Gary makes a great point. I would like to suggest we have the wrong goals in study and learning. It shouldn't be to be only. It shouldn't be only to be a scholar, but, and then he quotes first Timothy one five, the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. And this is exactly what my son, you know, what's the, the, the Westminster catechism. What's the, uh, what's the, the chief, chief end, end of man. Chief yeah. end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him always. And this is why we study. I totally agree. This is why we study. So, um, I, I understand what PJ was saying, and I agree. Most people are leaning on the instruction of their teachers. But once again, we need to avoid becoming lazy in our own uh, nourishment of the word. Okay. Shall we move on? Mm-hmm. Okay, let's see here. So that's all that we have um, really for uh, emails and whatnot. And by the way, if you'd like to email us, hang on, let me get my cursor over here. If you'd like to email us, you can do so at resource.com. That's resource.com. And you can also call our comment line. Our comment line is 253-465-3205. It's 253-465-3205. You don't talk to us. You just get an answering machine and then you can say whatever you want. And so that's always fun. Um, it's always nice to get those messages too. Okay, so uh, in the past few shows, actually the past what five shows, we've talked about some form of a messianic expectation, right? We're talking about the Messiah. We're talking about what people were expecting in the first century. We've talked about a lot of different things, right? We've talked about the star of, of Bethlehem and what that might have been, and and what people were expecting, how they knew that this was going to be the star of the Messiah, so on and so forth. We've talked about the messianic expectation. We talked about this idea of uh, uh, the son, are you know, are you the son of David? In other words, this person was uh, uh, descended a king uh, from the kingly line, and these kind of things. But one of the things that we haven't talked about yet is what the Messiah thought about himself. Now, one of the interesting things that we see is 
Yeshua continues to say, tell no one, right? He, he heals the blind man, right? And, and he says, don't tell anybody, right? Why? Why would he do that? And then the Pharisees make him tell anyway. But we see this, uh, you know, other times too. I put this in show notes. Uh, Matthew 16, 20, Mark uh, 8, 27 through 30, Luke 9, 21. I believe those are all the same story. But at the end of it, he says, don't tell anybody. So obviously, messianic consciousness is is what this is called. And it's a huge debate within scholarship, whether or not Yeshua knew that he was the Messiah, what he thought about that, how, when did he know all these kind of things. So we have direct questions, like in Matthew 26, uh, 63, are you the Messiah? Same in Mark 14, 61 through 60, uh, 62. And let's see here. Should we read some of these and then go from there? Sure, sure. I think uh, real quick, you know, and I, we have touched upon it, where he tells his disciples that, you know, the Son of Man is going to suffer and be killed. Right? That is core to Yeshua's picture of who, who the Messiah is, that he will be rejected um, by his people and that he will be put to death, etc., um, so we know that that is the foundational description of the of what the Messiah, what's going to happen, that even Peter was not ready to hear, right? So I think that uh, when we understand the gravity of that contrast between what Yeshua is in fact showing the Messiah to be by being the Messiah, right, in in the world over over time and things are unfolding. On the way, he's healing people. And there is a possibility that someone's going to be healed by Yeshua, and they think, oh, this is the Messiah, right? In other words, but they're not, they don't understand the fullness of who he is. They don't understand the gospel, but they might, you know, that he's going to go to Jerusalem, he's going to die, right, etc. So they just take, oh, the, there's a, a healer, and he's the Messiah. So does that help? advance the true picture of who Messiah is, if someone just runs around the Galilee saying, a guy healed my blindness, he must be Messiah, or is by Yeshua's saying, don't tell anybody, he's basically saying, you know, there's more to come that are going to, there's more to come here in the future that is totally contrary to what people think about the Messiah, even, and then as we said, as is shown in Peter's response, uh, to say never, where never, that can't happen. Um, just some thoughts. Go ahead, Caleb. So I think I actually take a little bit different, uh, you know, we've talked about what the people in the first century believed, right? A king, he's going to be a king. He's going to rule. He's, you know, and Peter, you know, we keep bringing up this passage when Peter says, you know, let's go up and, you know, up to Jerusalem. Let's, let's, let's fight. You know, surely you're not going to die, Lord. You know, these kind of things. There was the, the messianic expectation to me is overwhelmingly in the first century to be looking for the king, the ruler who's now going to overthrow Rome, is going to sit down on the throne and is going to rule, right? He's going to conquer. And I think one of the main reasons, the, the way that I see it at least, is, is uh, that Yeshua is saying, okay, I'm not here for that. That's not my goal right now. My goal is to save the elect. I've come to redeem my people in a different way. And that way is in from their sins, right? I'm going to die instead of ruling. And, you know, last week we, we talked about the, the book of John. They didn't understand. And then they understood, right? After his death and resurrection. And then they understood. And then they understood these kind of things. Um, so I think it's more of a, I think he's more trying to Look, he, when when we see him feeding, right? He he's out in the he's out in the desert. He feeds feeds five thousand people, right? Ten thousand people. I thought I, my numbers are off. Anyway, five, he, seven, and different depends on the time. Yeah, and Mark depends on the time. one that's five and one that's seven. So you know he he's feeding thousands of people. You have these people from all over the place that are are believing and following and listening to his teaching, right? And then what happens when he's when he comes up into Jerusalem? Right during the Last Supper, right? The, 
the uh, chief priests and, and Pharisees, they're, they're saying, now's not the time. We can't take him during the festival. Why are they saying that? I think it's because all of a sudden you have all this following from outside of Jerusalem that have believed and have followed and, and are on board with this Yeshua as the Messiah, and now they're all in Jerusalem. And if if they try to take Yeshua, there's going to be a riot. They're going to, and we see this, I think we see evidence of this in Yeshua flipping over the tables in the, in the temple, right? He goes in, he flips over the tables, he says, uh, you know, don't make my my father's house a house of, of uh, you know, commerce and, and whatnot, right? There's a temple guard. Why would they let him do this? Why wouldn't they just arrest him right there and then? And I think the reason why is because since it's Passover, you have all these people. It's a huge amount of people. I don't think they were ready for it. I don't think they were ready to handle that kind of a crowd that would back Yeshua. And then, you know, obviously they find the, the, they find this time where they can come and kind of in secret, he gets tried in secret and all this kind of stuff. Um, so I think that there was a large crowd that was, that was, uh, that was following him, especially in Jerusalem around Passover time. And, uh, anyway, okay. So let's look at some of the, um, some of the passages. I pulled three passages to kind of highlight this Matthew 27, 11. Now Yeshua stood before the governor. And the governor questioned him, saying, Are you the king of the Jews? And Yeshua said to him, It is as you say. Uh, this is this becomes a little bit more interesting when we read the accounts of, of uh, the high priest. Um, the high priest in Matthew 26, 63 and 64 says, But Yeshua, uh, Yeshua kept silent. And the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God that you tell us whether you are the, the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of God. I think that's important. Yeshua said to him, You have said it yourself, or you have said it. Nevertheless, I tell you, hereafter, you will see, and now he quotes Daniel 7, right? You will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of, of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Now we have a parallel passage that's a little bit different in Mark, Mark 14, 61 and 62. But he kept silent and did not answer. Again, the high priest was questioning him and saying to him, Are you the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And in your NASB, if you're reading the NASB, they'll put the, the word one in, the blessed one. And Yeshua said, I am. Right now, this is different. In the Matthew passage, he says, you have said it. And in this one, he says, I am. And you shall see the Son of... And then he quotes uh, Daniel 7 again. I think there is a lot going on here. Uh, do you want to go first? Do you want to highlight no, your ahead. thoughts? Go ahead. Okay, so in both of them, we have uh, the Son of, right? So in the uh, in the Matthew passage, Son of God. So the high priest, it seems like the high priest believes that the Messiah is going to be the Son of God or the Son of the Blessed One or the Son of the Blessed, right? So this is a... He's like a... It's a person of deity. I think that's number one. Um, so this might inform our messianic expectation, what, what the messianic expectation was of the priestly line, right? At least the priest may have thought that the Messiah was going to be deity, the son of God. Um, the other thing that I notice is this phrase, you've said it. Mark interprets this as an affirmative I am. Right. Mark right. said, Yeshua says, I, uh, I am, I am the, the son of the living God. And, uh, but in Matthew, he says, you have said it. I'm, I wonder, and maybe our chat room can, can help us out on this. I wonder who's done work on this phrase. I am, or uh, not, I am, I'm sorry on, uh, you've said it, or you've said it yourself. Cause this is not the only time that Yeshua says this phrase, right? I wonder if, if this is almost like a, uh, you're the second witness. Like I've said it and now you've said it. You're the second witness. Because why does Mark, the question that I have is why does Mark change it to I am instead of, you know, ego a me instead of you've said it. And the last thing, question, I don't know. I've, I've not researched that difference between the, the accounts there. The last thing that I have to say about this is that the high priest equates the Messiah with the son of God and Yeshua then quotes 
Daniel. And so it's almost as if clearly anchoring the son of man uh, terminology throughout the gospels in a core, the core, one of the core moments of the passion, right? Is this is the declaration of who Yeshua is the charge, the sub, the immediate charge of blasphemy, right? What more do we have need for witnesses? He tears his garment, right? That's like, so, so he's, why did quote, why did quoting Daniel seven, right? At this moment caused that reaction. That, well, and, that, I mean, it, and the, and to me that shows once again, it, it once again informs our understanding of the first century messianic expectation. And that is they saw Daniel seven as a, as, as Emmanuel, God in the flesh coming to dwell with the people. Right. And the high priest gets it. He thinks it's blasphemy. What are your thoughts? So that's right. So, um, so the question is, is the charge of blasphemy accurate or not? Right. This gets it, it, there's a subtle parallel here to what we read in, um, like I think it's in Matthew 12, for example, of. You, sh- you know, could this be the son of David, you know, because he's healing and then the Pharisees hear about this and they say, no, he's casting out demons by the, the Lord of demons. And, and it's in this larger telling that Matthew brings up Yeshua's response, says, look, you know, whoever speaks a, a word against the son of man, it will be forgiven him or it may be forgiven him. Right. But whoever speaks against the Ruach HaKodesh. It will not be forgiven him in this world or in the next. So the idea is, what is this? Is this blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? Is this the attribution to something that God is doing through God's Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, and attributing that to the work of Satan? So what we have with the the account that you've brought up, Caleb, here today is, high priest seeing Yeshua stand right there in the flesh, citing Daniel and then charging, uh, charging him with blasphemy. Um, so it, it really, this is the sharp edge of the gospel is this situation where it's like, look, the gospel puts this in front of you to say, you, there's no middle ground here. It's either you, this is one of those things. You're either on, you're on one side or the other. There's no. The person who pretends to be on the fence is living in it. You know, the clock's ticking, right? That, that's, um, it. It's a, a one of these core moments that that we see, and uh, so the citation of Daniel here at this event uh, at this moment is really. Uh, Okay, well, hang, hang on just a sec. Uh, Helen in the chat room says, I don't understand the reference to Daniel. Let's go to Daniel real quick. Daniel 7. <clears throat> we'll start in 9. As I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white and snow, and uh, the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames. Its wheels were burning fire, and stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousand served him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court sat in judgment, and the books were opened. I looked then because of the sound of the great words that the horn, okay, um, I'm just going down, okay, uh, 13 is where he actually quotes, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. This is very interesting. Like a son of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is, in, is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. The way that I, I see this is the way that I think, what I think is going on here is that, I mean, I see this as... <laughs> I see this as uh, Yeshua, Yeshua's deity clearly 
presented, right? He gets dominion over everything. He's given power. Um, he, his dominion is from everlasting. In other words, it's from forever, right? Um, and so I think that just like I see this as a mess, as a, a deity of, of Messiah, I think that the first century, at least some of the first century Jews saw this the same, right? And what Yeshua does by quoting this here, he says, are you the son of God um, or son of the blessed? In other words, it seems like the high priest is asking if, if he is claiming to be the deified uh, Messiah. And Yeshua goes straight to quoting out of Daniel this passage, which seems like uh, the high priest understands as uh, the Messiah being deified. And this is how the, uh, this is my understanding. This is how the priest interprets it is that Yeshua is claiming to be Yodhe Vavhe. He's claiming to be God. What is interesting about the part of the passage in Mark is that we see the same language um, as in John 8, 58, right? In John 8, 58, Yeshua said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unto you, before Abraham was, I am. And then in our Mark passage, right, he says, uh, are you the Messiah, the son of the blessed? And Yeshua said, egg away me, I am. I think that once again, this could be a reference to Exodus 3. Who should I say sent me when he's Moses is going to go to Israel, right? He's going to go into Egypt and, and Israel is going, he's going to present God essentially before Israel. And he says, no, Lord, not me. Don't, don't send me. He says, when I do go and they ask who sent me, what shall I say? And in the Septuagint, in the Greek translation of the, of the Torah, he says, tell them that Egoe me has sent you, that I am has sent you. Now, egoi me is how you would say I am in Greek, but I think that I think that the priest gets it. The high priest gets it. This is why he's so upset. Yeshua is using clear language and a clear reference to a, de- a, a Messiah that's seen as deity, that's seen as the Son of God. It's really enlightening for what was going on in the first century. What do you think? Do you, I mean, do you think that that's off track? I, I'm, I'm, um, you know, back to the, the, this response that the high priest gives of tearing his garment and with the charge of blasphemy. Um, I wonder, it's like, did he, why such a response, right? Why such a response? <laughs> unless, like what you're saying, unless he, you know, what, what are some, unless if you just go there and you imagine, you know, the high priest, what are his options? One is this guy's crazy and he's citing a verse that has nothing to do with anything. Like this guy doesn't even know his Bible, right? Okay. So there's that possibility. Another possibility is, um, that's a very important verse to the high priest and he has very specific expectations of what he believes to be true about its fulfillment and he doesn't want to grant that to Yeshua, right? There's, um, in other words, a, maybe a kind of jealousy even. Like, um, I don't know, I'm, I'm kind of just uh, imagining like what, from just a flesh and blood perspective, right? The, the guy, that's an important scripture, you know, them's fighting words, right? For you to quote that to me. Right. Why did that make him angry? Because he, uh, certainly everybody looked up to him like, wow, he's like, in a way, uh, acting as mediator for all Israel. He's the one that oversees the Yom Kippur. He's the one that, right, that, wow, you must be the guy. And so there is probably, there could be a pride, you know, whatever. But this, Yeshua quoted these words to him and it, it, he flipped his lid. He flipped his lid. And I think there has to be the, the, um, the collision between the, the high priest's view of what Daniel 7 meant 
and then Yeshua having this audacity to claim it for himself. Right. Um, so the, the chat room is having quite an explosive conversation here. Uh, someone good. says, uh, uh, Yeshua is the son of, of Yahweh, right? Uh, and then says, Torah doesn't champion the Trinity doctrine. I mean, full disclosure, I, I, I think that the word Trinity is wrapped up with a lot of, of uh, history, and people get uh, distracted by this word. But the doctrine itself, I would consider myself through and through a Trinitarian. Now, I didn't always used to be. This was one of the, the struggles of faith that I, uh, that I had for years. Uh, but trying to understand uh, God is something that I don't think we can do. It's clear that, that God has uh, put himself forward as father and as son. We see this even in the Torah, right? yod heh vav appears to Abraham in, in the tent. yod heh vav uh, appears uh, with feet uh, to the 70 elders of Israel on the mountain, right? Uh, Moses speaks with yod heh vav face-to-face as a friend speaks with his friends, um, so on and so forth. There, there's multiple times throughout the Torah itself where, you know, Abraham wrestles with, uh, with yod heh vav right? Uh, <laughs> the, the list goes on and on. And, uh, you know, even in the garden, right? God seems to walk with, uh, with Adam and Eve in the garden. Uh, the point is, is that uh, God has human form throughout the Torah, but uh, God is a spirit and doesn't have a body like man. Um, and then we see the spirit. Actually, this is a question that has come up throughout, um, uh, come to us through email and, and whatnot recently that the, uh, why don't we see the spirit in the Tanakh? Well, I don't think that that's actually the case. I think that we do see the spirit in the Tanakh, right? Even in Genesis 1, the spirit hovers over the face of the earth. And then, of course, if we look in the, in the apostolic scriptures, there are, uh, you know, the people who say, oh, well, this spirit is just a, uh, another name for God. I used to hold to that view. I held, I held to the idea that uh, the Holy Spirit was just another name for the problem is, is that Yeshua speaks of uh, the Spirit with personal pronouns in ways that are very, very, very difficult to explain if you're going to take the idea that, that the Father uh, and the Spirit are, it's just the Spirit, right? Um, it, it doesn't, it's very, very difficult, especially working in the original languages, to, to try to uh, explain this. I think that the Holy Spirit is... Uh, I think that the Father and the Son share one Spirit, and that Spirit is the Holy Spirit. This is what the Trinity Doctrine is. Three persons in one God. And that is not to say three gods. And, I, you know, there are ministries out there right now. I know I'm, 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 on, a, I'm on a soapbox here, and I apologize for that, Rob. I'll, I'll just say this. Uh, there are ministries out there right now where, where, where people are not being straightforward with what they really believe about the deity of the Messiah. And it is very, very concerning. Ask your teachers, do you believe that Yeshua is yod heh If they can't answer that or if they dance around it, one of, the, one of the things that I've realized recently is there's this trend within Messianic and Hebrew root circles to say, well, I believe that he's Elohim. This is, uh, in my opinion, this is deceitful. And the reason why is because they're try- some teachers are taking he is Elohim to me the same way that Yeshua says, we're all, you know, the, the Psalms say that we're all Elohim, right? We're all gods, right? And that's, there's a play on words there. And anyway, let's not get into that. But the point is that they use, they use this wording to try to get around the idea of Yeshua being yod Don't let your teachers get away with that. Ask your teachers, do you believe Yeshua is yod You'd be shocked at some of the Hebrew roots. Right. And messianic teachers. I know that there was a there was a, a couple Hebrew roots teachers have gone to Israel and have interviewed, um, uh, a, I think he's is he uh, a Loro. I don't remember right. his first name. I don't remember if he's like a Yosef. rabbi or not. Not a rabbi, um, but yeah, he's yeah a Loro, and he's really big into gematria. Right, this guy was like like serious numbers, and not just gematria from the scriptures, but gematria in the Mishnah. So he draws on the Mishnah and right. his gematria to show how, uh, you know, all these different things. Well, he teaches clearly that 
Psalm 82 says, Aniamarti Elohim Atem, you know, that you are Elohim, that all Jews are B'nai Elohim, that Jews are B'nai Elohim. And so Aloro uses this argument that what, what the Gospel of John, you know, Yeshua says, does not your scripture say you are Elohim? To say that calling Yeshua Ben Elohim, the Son of God, is not blasphemous because all Jews are B'nai Elohim. Right. So that's Aloro's viewpoint. Even though Aloro, I don't know if he believes in Yeshua as the Messiah, but he's, he thinks Christians, that it's part of some end-time development going on. Um, now, how come the high priest in the Gospels didn't say, oh, okay, well, we're all... <laughs> right. right. Yeah. Well, we're all sons of God, so okay, no blasphemy here, right? He, the high priest didn't occur to him. Uh, maybe he wasn't learned enough to have that opinion, um, <laughs> and he didn't. He couldn't think on his feet, right, to bring up another scripture. You know, I don't think that is. Uh, uh, I think that's silly to go down that uh, that uh, road. I think that's a dead end uh, street there. But the but the but the point that uh, Alaro makes about we're all B'nai Elohim, like we're all. Elohim, right? The, the or Jews. He he doesn't say we yeah, are all. He would say the Jews. The problem the problem with this is is that messianic teachers have taken this idea, and Hebrew words teachers have taken this idea. So they they reduce the Christology is now a low Christ, right? It's not a high Christology. It's they're watering it, watering Yeshua down. Right. And the problem um, is is that now when when they're when people ask them. Do you believe that Yeshua is Yod Vav Hey? What do they say? Yes, I believe Yeshua is Elohim. That is not answering the question. The question that people need to pose to their teachers are is, do you believe Yeshua is Yod Vav Hey? If they say no, or if they dance around that, well, I think, oh, you know, it, it, it's you know, we can explain it this way, but I don't like using those words because you know you sh- the Bible never uses those terms. No, this is dancing around the issue. And to be quite frank, it's heresy. This is heresy. And there are the worst. The reason that I'm so passionate about this right now is because I know people who have been pulled away from the doctrine of the deity of the Messiah by these teachers. And online, everybody thinks that they're above board. Everybody thinks nobody thinks to ask, "Oh, do you do you believe the core doctrine of my faith?" Nobody thinks to ask that. They just assume, "Oh, this person's a good teacher." Well, it's because people are suspicious and they're willing to entertain other ideas than what they were taught because they've they've shown a willingness to to challenge their own belief system which isn't that that's a good thing in and of itself the the the, to grow in the ability to say you know what maybe i'm not right on this on this particular thing. That's how the Reformation happened, right? (laughs) Right. But where does that end? What is, where is the healthy place of that type of self-reflection and willingness to, you know, do I have a plank in my own eye right now? Um, Which is a separate, slightly different application of that idea. That idea has to do with when you're, uh, there's a, someone else that you're concerned about their behavior and you want to approach them. Um, But, yeah, you know, it's uh it is it is a tough one. Because we we all need to learn. We all are learning. It's not like we stop learning. Right. However, do the core is this, do back to the verse that Gary brought up uh, that you cited. I didn't see it cuz I'm not in the chat room, but the uh, 1 Timothy 1:5. 1, Right. Do we and and back to the first John, the John series that you were talking about earlier that that Tim Haig has run through. Do we have fellowship with the Father and with the Son by the power of the Ruach HaKodesh? Do you know, do we is that a real joy that we have? Do we really know what the love of God is and what the what grace and shalom are that Paul's talking about when he opens his letters? And, and do we understand that when Yeshua says at the end of Matthew, you know, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Ruach HaKodesh, you know, that this is a, a, a way that Yeshua trains us to, to organize our, our thinking. Right. Um, 
this is this is important stuff. You know, there are people out there. We've seen them. Just go back to the '80s and look at all the end times books. Yeah. Go to the '70s, look at the end times books. You know, so there's always going to be these flash in the pan type of sensationalist uh, things that come, and they're going to cause a stir, and people are going to go, "Wow, you know, maybe maybe that's right. Maybe I need to jump on that because it it feels like like it's some kind of movement, you know, and I need to be a part of it. Um, I'll tell you, the, uh, the, uh, the chat room is a buzz in, uh, a buzz in a good way. Um, it's, it's good to have, we got, we got some very well-learned people, uh, who frequent the chat room. And so it's, uh, it's nice to have people that are far beyond my, my knowledge in many different things. Uh, so, um, yeah, I'm, I never have to, uh, I never have to worry about what's going on in the chat room. It's always a, it's always good. Okay. <clears throat> I hope that this conversation has been good for everyone else. I, you know, uh, Rob and I, we discuss a lot about what we're going to talk about and those kind of things. And we want to hear the, we want to hear what you guys want to hear about too. Um, so go ahead and shoot us an email. You can do that by, uh, writing to C Hag, C H E G G at torresource.com. C-H-E-G-G at torresource.com. You can also give us a call on our comment line. It's 253-465-3205. I'll give it to you one more time. It's 253-465-3205. Hey, we sure have fun doing this show, and we hope that you enjoy it too. Uh, thank you, everyone in the chat room, and thank you, everyone listening from iTunes, YouTube, all around. Uh, we sure do have a great time. Join us next time when we try to glorify our great God and Savior, Yeshua the Messiah.